How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are, another day for another great study. So please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens, and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11. And here we're going to be, again, using the uh, same method we always have, is the three points of Bible study interpretation application demonstration the what the how the why what it's saying how it's being said and how we can apply it to ourselves for our own learning and as well uh, using the bible study principle of the clear interprets the unclear what it says very clearly in certain passages of scripture as you're reading through it says abundantly clearly like we always use the example for example uh, salvation by grace through faith what it says abundantly clearly about this about the person of jesus christ uh, what the uh, true reality is and what god says how he made all things what it says is what it means now other passages that uh, some people might be a bit confused on troubled by or other people using it to try to push some other narrative like workspace salvationists well the clear interprets the unclear and so uh, this is why we got to study our Bibles and see what it says and uh, do the due diligence. All right. So here we are. Mark chapter 11. See how far we get today. Got a bunch of stuff in here to talk about. It's really interesting stuff here. We're going to look at some prophecies and everything about uh, Mark chapter 11. And if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding the study at hand, Please, by all means, go ahead, ask away. Be glad to hear from you. If it's not related to the topic at hand, if you just hold that to the end of the study uh, or to the next broadcast, so we could try to limit our rabbit trailing. Alrighty. And grab your tea, grab your coffee. Okay. Mark chapter 11. And, uh, okay, so we, we finished up Mark chapter 10, and I took a look at the last verse. It's so important. As to see what Jesus says, thy faith hath made thee whole. Now, the indirect interpretation, as we see, who he's talking about, uh, this man who uh, was blind, and now he can see because of the healing of Jesus, that's the direct interpretation, that's the what of the narrative, what it's saying. But application... Thy faith hath made thee whole. So we also see we can apply that over in James 5. says the prayer of faith will heal the sick. It's not the oil or the, or the hands or any other thing, but the prayer of faith that heals the sick. Now we also see in salvation, by grace are you saved through faith. And we see faith hath made thee whole. The belief of faith. It's faith in all things, not works, righteous works, traditions, or whatever else. It's the belief of faith. Alright, now, we're also going to apply this to our study this morning and see the context even as Jesus commanded, even as Jesus commanded. This is the way it is as God laid it out. People say, well, well I just feel, but that's not what God says. Well, my opinion, my interpretation, but that's not what God says. Well, Genesis, you know, God spoke everything into existence, the, cre the creationist idea, you know, I, I don't really believe it, 
But that's what God says. This is how God said it is. And so in all things throughout the word of God, it's as God commanded, as Jesus commanded. Now, what else did he command here in chapter 11? Take a look. Chapter 11, verse 1. And when they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he, he sendeth forth two of his disciples. And saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never man sat, loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. Hey, good morning, good morning. All right, so we take a look at this. Now, I got a question for you. How did Jesus know that there would be a colt tied right in the right at the beginning of the city right there? Did Jesus go ahead and spy it out? Could, could he see it there? Or, or how did he know that there was a colt there? You see, a lot of people read these kinds of things and they just read through the narrative and they, they don't actually pay attention to these specifics like this. How did Jesus know that the, this animal was there? Well, the same way at the beginning when uh, he was calling his disciples, come follow me, come follow me. And uh, we see, uh, says, I, th I believe it was Philip. He says, Philip, be before, uh, before your brother came and called you, I saw you sitting under the uh, under the tree i saw you under sitting under the tree but was G was jesus spying on him or did he have binoculars or how, how did he how could he see him there i see another passage says and jesus knew their thoughts how did he know their thoughts you see in all these things these kinds of uh uh, passages are proofs of his divinity do angels prophets holy men priests can they forgive sins do they accept worship can they raise the dead heal the sick can do can they know the thoughts and, uh, of men can do can they know what's going to happen in the future no no only god can exactly purely he's god and since jesus is god he knows all things sees all things and he's aware of all things all powerful so that right here we see proofs of his divinity proofs of his ability so go your way into the village over against you and as soon as you be entered into it you shall find a cold tide so jesus is literally telling them the future are you telling them what they're gonna see What's going to happen? Jesus is literally telling the future. So go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never man sat. How did he know that no man has ever sat on it? See, even if, okay, hypothetically, let's say individuals are arguing with you on this topic. Well, he already saw and already knew that the animal was there okay well how did he know that no man has ever sat on this 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 cult like specifically about the animal where it is and that nobody has ever sat on it ever neither adult or child no one has ever sat on this thing and it's tied up at a door 
and no one's ever sat on it. See the specifics of this. Where never man sat, loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say, say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And if anybody says anything about this, this is what you are to say to them in response. And they went their way, verse 4, and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met, and they loose him. And certain of them stood there, said unto them, What do ye loosing the colt? Okay, hold up. Let's go back. Verse 3. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Why do ye this? And they went their way, found the colt tied. They loosed the colt. And certain of them says, What do ye loosing the colt? Jesus literally told his disciples word for word exactly what they would be asked. Do you see that? So not only is he telling them what kind of animal, where it is, that it's tied up, specifically that it's a colt, no one has ever sat on it, and exactly what the people are going to say to you in response and how you should respond. You see, when you really break this down, it's a great, great picture. Great picture of our faith, of our walk with Christ. You see, we are given all the information. God has already done all the work. He's already told us everything that we need to know. He's told us what the outcome is going to be, how to respond to people. And even in salvation, he's done all the work. He tells us what to do. He tells us what to say, what to believe. He says, I will guide you. I will be with you. I will teach you all things. I will teach you how to pray. So what's left? What is literally left for us to do as the disciples of Jesus Christ? Go and repeat. Go where I told you to go and say these words. Go and say these words. Go and say these words. And we don't have to wonder about a single thing. Well, I'm not sure where to go. He says he will guide us. I'm not sure how to handle the situation. I said I would teach you. I would help you. I would uh, provide, protect, guide, guard, everything. In these first few verses, in this simple example of Jesus and the cult, you literally can preach the entire gospel message and the entire life of the saint. Do you see that? You see, this is the difference between just reading your Bible and studying it and actually paying attention to what it's saying, how it's being said, looking for the looking for other applications and and ways ways to interpret this without contradicting other ways to interpret this for our everyday life. 
So the what, the how, the why. What it's saying, how it's being said, and how we can apply it to ourselves for our own learning. This is how we are to study, read, and understand the scriptures. The word of God is alive. And that, yes, the scriptures are written, the, uh, actually penned down a long time ago. The first five books of the Bible are written by Moses. So we see over, uh, over 1,500 years, over a span of... 1500 years by over 40 different authors the word of god is penned without a single flaw without a single flaw and i've shown this to you before this is this is cross-referencing every color strand is how many times in what books we see along the bottom is all the different books of the bible and how many cross-references there are now According to this, <clears throat> I can shrink this up one second. Oh my goodness, seriously. There it is. 63,779 cross-references in the Bible. 63,779 cross-references in the Bible. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. It, the scriptures are written by over 40 authors in a span of 1,500 years. Now look at this. Now, when we take a look at the scriptures and we see this, it's not, yes, it is ju just a, a narrative story. We can see it as a narrative story from one, from one line to, to the, we see the outcome. But it's also open in a sense that it is written not just to the individuals that, that, that it was penned for, but it's for everyone. The word of God was penned for you, for me, for your grandkids. The word of God was written and penned for individual persons, if this world goes on for another thousand years, for people a thousand years from now. If the world goes on for a million years, it was penned for people a million years from now. The word of God never ceases to be valid, never ceases to be accurate, never ceases to be the absolute authority. And we see examples in every page, in every verse, in every aspect. It's so exciting. And what, what, what blows my mind are people who get bored with it. You know, how could you honestly, seriously get bored with the Word of God? Or you would need other sources and other things to, to keep the faith alive. That, how many times have you read the same passage over and over and over and over and over and over and over? And on the, like... 501th time that you've read it, it's like wait a minute i've never seen that before and you see a new a new application in a verse or a word jumps out at you the word of god is alive we also see the lord says my word is above my very name the word of god is above more important even higher than the names of god Give that one a thought. 
as it says in scripture, thy word is above thy very name. I will preserve it unto all generations. So the grass withers, the flowers fade, my word will stand forever. Now, so you see, go your way and say these words. Now, I want to just ask you, okay, where else, where else do you hear that? That specifically, where Jesus says, go your way, say this. Go your way, say this. Well, that sounds like the Great Commission. Go into the world and preach the gospel. Go out and say what Jesus has told you to say. You see that? Okay, let's continue on. Verse 4. Grab your tea, grab your coffee. Let's keep going. <clears throat> so they went their way into... Oh, what happened here? One second, one second. The video froze up. One second. And here we are. Okay. Can you see me? Can you hear me? Can you give me a thumbs up? All right. Sorry for the technical issues. I don't know what's going on. We're having technical problems this morning. Yeah. I don't know why, but we're going. I'm going along, and all of a sudden, my camera will just turn off. It just turns off. I don't know why. It just. Uh, okay. <laughs> all right. Let's keep going. Where did I leave off? Okay, so we'll, we'll pick up where I, where we are in here. Mark chapter 11, verse 4. All right, awesome. Good. Thank you. Okay. Mark chapter 11, verse 4. And they went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met. Okay, are you following in your Bible? Yeah, do you have your Bibles open? Do you see this? I, I need you to see this, where, where it says, Mark chapter 11, verse 4. Now, every single bit in the Word of God, every word, every phrase, every bit of punctuation, every aspect in the Word of God is important. It's all important. Now, look at this. verse 11, uh, Chapter 11, verse 4. And they went and they found the colt, Tied by a door where two ways met. Look at that. Where two ways met. Why is that important? See, I find that exciting. Every little bit like this, it, it, where it's just, there's no such thing as chance, luck, or coincidence. Because the Lord says that there are two ways. There are two ways. There's the narrow way. And there's the broad way, the narrow way, which leads to life, the broad way, which leads to destruction. Now, the other thing that's really exciting about this, as you see in the scriptures, is yes, just as the Lord teaches, both ways, the narrow way and the broad way, meet. They meet. We will all meet at the great white throne judgment. The narrow way and the broad way will bring you to God. It doesn't matter what belief system you have, you will get to God. 
But there's only one belief system that'll get you into everlasting life, your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. There's only one way, one truth, one life that will give you everlasting life. Uh, every other way will bring you to God as your judge and you'll be cast in the lake of fire. So you see that, where the two ways meet. So it's one thing I I like to I like to say that every once in a while when I'm when I'm speaking at a church or with other Christians or something it really stirs them up and it really gets them going you it's it sees it 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 really shows you who's paying attention when you say it doesn't matter what you believe all belief systems get you to God and then they're all all their heads snap up and their eyebrows go up and they're like what what is he saying well yeah it gets you to god at the great white throne judgment and and then it's only the ones who believe in the lord jesus christ according to scripture that will get you into everlasting life all the others will bring you to god as your judge because like fire and they're like <laughs> it really it, it sees uh, who's paying attention try that one so next time you're around some christian friends try that one watch what happens it's fun i like to stir the pot Okay, so they says they find it. They, they find this cult just as Jesus said. Just as Jesus says. Now, what are we going to see? Just as Jesus says, when we get to the place where the two ways meet, we will see. Just as Jesus said, he's telling the future. He tells us the future that when we get there. And we find just as Jesus says at the door you see in this are you seeing this at a door what did Jesus call himself the door he calls himself the entrance he calls himself the lamb the way of salvation the way the truth the life the water of life the light of life the bread of life <laughs> so when we get to this place where the two ways meet and there's the door there's only one there's only one truth that'll get you through that door we will see just as jesus says what salvation is by what uh, we will see our salvation we have our salvation but we will actually get to see it with our own eyes we will get to hear it we will get to hear god almighty on that throne we will get to see and hear name found written we will get to see the face of god smiling as he welcomes us in what well, we are already in but it but it, we will see that that day when we'll get to see him announce our name i can't wait for that time to hear the voice of almighty god read my name I'll already be in the presence of God I'll already be clothed in the righteousness of Christ with the white robes standing with the saints shoulder to shoulder with the angels now we will already be there it's it's not like but well, we gotta wait until this time then we no 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 we're already in the presence of God in the joy of the Lord but it's just the official hearing of our name written in the lamb's book of life we will get to see it we'll get to hear it now as a, as an example here as well in verse 5 in verse 5 mark chapter 11 verse 5 just as jesus says people will ask you 
People will question you. People will hate you. These kinds of things are what is going to happen if you follow my word. If you abide in me, my word abides in you. If you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, if you follow me, this is what is going to happen. This is what is going to be said. All right. Now, verse 5, certain of them that stood by the door, they weren't in the door. They were standing by the door. So they see you coming and doing as the Lord says. They see you doing as the Lord says. And they ask questions. What is what is this? What does this sound like? Actually, I forgot to write this reference in. One second. Oh, need a new pen. First Peter three fifteen. Just came to my mind here. And I forgot to write this down. First Peter three fifteen. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to them who come and ask of you of the hope that is in you and you tell them in meekness and in fear. So we see that they will come and ask you. They will come and ask you to be an example, to give an example to them that ask of you, of your hope. These ones are standing without the door, asking the disciples who are coming in the name of the Lord, speaking and doing the things that the Lord has said. And these are asking them, what are you doing? What is this about? What do ye loosing the colt? What are you doing working the works of Christ? What are you doing? What, why are you saying the words of Christ? And they said unto them, now look, look what it says in verse 6. Look what it says. The specific words here. What did they respond to them? Their own arguments, their own feelings, their own interpretations, their own experiences. What did they respond to the people asking of them? You see, the, it comes up in a question, what convicts of sin? The Word of God. What draws the people? The Spirit of Christ. What is my authority? What is the power of the saint? The words of God. God's words. Verse 6. And they said unto them, even as Jesus had commanded. Look at this. They said, even as Jesus commanded. Who's Jesus? God. Jesus is God. He commanded us to speak his word, to walk in his grace to go out to preach the gospel to every creature, that, the, that his spirit will convict the hearts. He will draw the crowds. Worry not what to say beforehand. I will give thee the words with which to say in the very same hour. We see so much right here. There's so much. There's so many different angles I can go here, but we're just going to keep on here. What do ye? What do ye? What are you doing? What are you doing? What you doing? What do ye, loosing the colt? And they said unto them, even as Jesus had commanded. And they let them go. Oh, 
Okay. What are you doing? I'll just hand out gospel tracts. Why? So people can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ so they can be born again saved from their sins? Oh. Okay. <laughs> it's just like that. And they let them go. Now, the works that we do as born-again Christians, the works of the saint, why are we doing them? Why are we doing them? Well, because, because you're a Christian, you have to. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't have to do anything. You want to. Why? What did Jesus say? If you love me, not yourself, if you love me, keep my commandments. So in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, we work the works of Christ to the glory of Christ. We bring our works back to Jesus. Our works are sacrifices of thanksgiving, of obedience, and offerings, uh, and all this for the glory of Jesus Christ. It's our service unto him, to glorify him, and to, and to praise him. It's all for him. Then we get to the Lord and we have the reward of the saints. The rewards are given out. Well, what, what do we wind up doing with our rewards? Give it back to Jesus. We don't keep our own crowns because we're not, we're, we're not crowned king. We're not the crowned king. We, we are undeserving. There isn't one single bit of reward of treasure in heaven that we deserve. Please make sure you understand that. There isn't one single minuscule piece of treasure in heaven that you deserve, that you earned, that belongs to you. Because it's by grace, not works. And they brought the cult to Jesus. Verse 7, and they brought the cult to Jesus. Direct obedience. Direct obedience. They did exactly as Jesus said to the letter. And they said unto them, even as Jesus commanded, and they let them go. Verse 7, and they brought the cult to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. Now, if you have your Bibles handy... I would like you to turn back into the Old Testament. Zechariah. The prophet Zechariah. Now, there's the second last book in the Old Testament. Zechariah, Malachi, and then the white pages of your Bible, and then the Gospels. So, Zechariah. Go to Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Look, look what it says. Now this is hundreds of years before Jesus. Hundreds of years before Jesus. Before he came, came on the scene, before he was born of Mary, before we see all the everything that's going on, before John the Baptist. This is hundreds of years before Jesus. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. What's daughter of Zion? That's 
the people of the city of Zion, which is Jerusalem. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. Thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, upon a colt, the foal of an ass. The details. We see heaven and Jerusalem, the people of Israel and Jerusalem rejoicing. The king is coming lowly, riding on a colt. This is a prophecy of the uh, of the uh, the the uh, uh, of the riding of Jesus into, into Jerusalem. This is a prophecy of this hundreds of years before. Go back to Mark chapter 11 and verse 7. And they brought the colt to Jesus and he sat upon it. And many spread their garments in the way and others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. Now, let's look at this. The people throw, uh, no, Jesus is coming into, into Jerusalem and the people are lining the streets, rejoicing and celebrating, Hosanna, Hosanna to, uh, to the highest. And they're throwing palm branches and their coats on the road. And he's riding over them going into the city. Why are they doing that? Well, let's go back to 2 Kings. Old Testament, 2 Kings. And we want chapter 9, verse 13. Now, this was a... Uh, a tradition this is a cultural thing that this is what the people did when the king of Israel was crowned and they're having a celebration and the king is uh, is officially coming into the city to take his place what the people would do in 2nd Kings chapter 9 verse 13 we see another example of this then they hasted and took every man his garment and put it under him on the top of the stairs and blew with trumpets saying jehu is king we see the celebration of a people would would uh, uh pave the way in palm branches and cloaks and they would shout and announce the king it's just it's so interesting seeing seeing this and many spread their garments in the way and others cut down branches off the trees and straw them in the way Second Kings nine thirteen is an is an example. And verse nine, and they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Just as it was foretold. You mean just as God commanded? Just as God commanded. Just as God said it would be. God said let there be light and there was light god spoke all things into existence he said his word is absolute his word is authority god spoke to moses and told moses god spoke to the prophets he told them he told noah it was going to rain the whole world would flood and it did God, uh, God 
when he speaks, he cannot lie. He cannot lie. When God told the prophet Isaiah that a virgin would conceive and bring forth a son, she'll call his name Emmanuel, and it did. He told the prophet Micah that the one whose names of ever, uh, uh, the one whose ways are of everlasting will be born in Bethlehem. It happened. God told David that the the of uh, the prophecies that that uh, the Messiah Christ will come will be betrayed, will, his hands and his feet will be pierced, that they will they will gamble upon his vesture at the foot of the cross, and it did. God told Zechariah about the triumphal entry, riding on a colt, and it did. Jesus told his disciples, you will find a colt here, and they did. People will say this to you, and they did. Say this in response, and they did. When God says something, it is absolute. God says salvation is by grace, that if you believe on me, as I said, by grace through faith, not of works, you will be saved. For there is none other. There's no other name. There is no other way that I atoned. He said he would atone. He's told the prophets 750 years before Jesus, he told Isaiah that, that, he, that he would atone for the sins of all the people. And he did. That the Gentiles also would believe. And they did. That he would rise again from the dead. And he did. And if you believe in me, you will be saved. And we are. Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Verse 10, blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, we want to go over to a parallel here in Luke. Gospel of Luke. And we want chapter 19. Now, this is a parallel of the triumphal entry triumphal entry and luke 19 verse 40 starting at verse 40 now we see jesus is coming and the people are shouting hosanna hosanna the disciples are shouting hosanna hosanna who also is there the vultures the vultures the pharisees the sadducees and all of them now they're seeing and hearing all of this and they are not pleased they're not happy at all what else is new and we, we see, okay, verse uh, 38, saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Hold up, hold up, hold up. You see, Luke is also recording, as well as Mark is, that what is happening here. Now, this is also the beauty of the grace of God. This is what, on yet another reason why I just love the Lord so much, is that he didn't make robots. God doesn't turn us into robots. The Lord uses us 
our personality, our character. The Lord uses us. You see, when the Lord spoke to his disciples and inspired them uh, on, uh, in penning down these words, penning down these things, the Lord gave them the understanding, but also allowed them to write even, we see, flavor of the writer. The flavor of the writer. And when we combine the four Gospels, yes, they are, they can, they can stand alone, but they're meant to be combined, all four. And we get a, a really powerful overall picture. But you see, Mark is penning down certain aspects, uh, details, aspects of things that, that Jesus is doing. Luke is penning down on a, on a different angle of it, the same thing, penning down more. And same with John and, and the others. Now, we see here something that's really interesting. When we go back to the birth of Jesus Christ, what did the angels say when they appeared in the sky over the shepherds? What did the angels say when they appeared with the shepherds when Jesus was born? Well, what did the angels say? Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. What are the people shouting here at the triumphal entry? Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. I just find it interesting that it's nearly identical to what the angels are saying at the birth of Jesus Christ. We're seeing the same thing being said at the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. It's just it's very interesting. So Luke, uh, Luke here, and we see in verse 39, is some of the Pharisees from the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. Command thy disciples to be quiet. Okay. Is God ever going to command you to do that which is different, contrary, contradictory to his word? Is God ever going to command you to do that which is different, contradictory to his word? No. Never. Nah. Now, we see as well here what these, these Pharisees, these Pharisees commanding Jesus, Master, tell thy disciples to be quiet, to stop praising you. Where do we see that? Where else do we see that? In Acts chapter 4 and chapter 5. Acts chapter 4 and chapter 5, we see the uh, Sanhedrin of the Pharisees and all the, the all those law keepers. They arrested the apostles, dragged the apostles up before the Sanhedrin. What did the Sanhedrin say to the disciples, to the apostles? We command you to be quiet and to stop preaching Jesus. Stop preaching in the name of Jesus. What did the apostles say? We have to obey God rather than men. We have to obey God rather than men. Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's a commandment. Jesus commands us, even as Jesus commanded us. Jesus commanded us to speak the word of God, to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not to just speak it. God says in his word, and Isaiah 58 is cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and declare the error of the people. And to go out and preach 
the gospel of Jesus Christ, to declare it, to proclaim it, to not be ashamed. And if anyone tells you to be quiet, tough. <laughs> they don't like it. Tough. Then Jesus also responds to the Pharisees. They say, Master, rebuke thy disciples. Tell them to be quiet. Verse 40. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these, my disciples, these people should hold their peace, if people stop praising God, if these people hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. You see, they already do. We're just talking stones. The Lord gathered together the dust of the ground, scraped it together, packed it down, formed us, breathed into us the breath of life, created a living soul. We're, we're talking dirt. We're talking stones, folks. The stones would immediately cry out. If God in the Old Testament, sorry, since God in the Old Testament with Balaam opened the mouth of a donkey, do you think it's hard for him to, to, to open a rock, cause a rock to start speaking? That, that it, the Lord, he's God. He made dirt talk. That's all we are. You ever think of that? We're talking dirt. Next, next time you start feeling a bit prideful of yourself, just remember, you're just talking dirt. God formed us from the dust of the ground. He spoke the dirt into existence, scraped it together, made made us, and gave us a soul. That's all we are. Seriously. Some people are quite conceited. I'm just a talking stone. Let's go back to Mark chapter 11. So we, we see the triumphal entry. Just as God said it would happen, it did. Just as he said the cross would happen. Just as he said everything else would happen. It happened just as God says. So we see, uh, we finish up here in Mark chapter 11, verse 10. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now we get a bit of a clue here what exactly some of the people is, uh, are thinking. You see, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, had done a massive, massive disservice corrupting the law, corrupting the scriptures, corrupting the truth of God, corrupting the traditions of Moses, corrupting everything that God had said. Devilish, demonic, evil, wicked men destroying the word of God and using it to preach something else. Which we also see a bit of a uh, uh, something that's carrying on into today. I'll get to it in a moment. As we see here, look what it says in verse 10. Look what it says in verse 10. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now, oh, oh, why is that? What are they getting at there? Because as we see previously um, at the feeding of the thousands, uh, the people wanted to uh, take Jesus, forcefully take Jesus and crown him as king of Israel. Well, technically, he is king of Israel. I'll bet you didn't know this. 
this will bake your noodle if you haven't heard this one before that uh technically as you see uh jesus is born of mary right right he had no earthly father but joseph was his adoptive father right right joseph was his adoptive father so by law jesus is joseph's adoptive son that he is then kin and in and is the inheritor of joseph he's the eldest of there and when joseph dies the household all of that is passed to jesus as the eldest right that's how it works now if we if we actually trace according to the word of god the genealogies the genealogies all the way back to king david all right the line of succession of the kings of israel from david you go from king david all the way up technically by genealogy of the kingship of israel was on joseph when joseph dies the crown of israel the the literal material crown the actual throne of israel goes to jesus jesus is actually by succession by by succession the actual rightful king of israel and he's still alive he's still the king he's still technically the actual king of israel there you go so these people saying blessed be the kingdom of our father david they're right on the money he is the son of david he he is the son of david he's he is the king of israel who's holding the throne of david that cometh in the name of the lord hosanna in the highest we could stop it there but we're not but it's just so awesome when you you see what i mean you see what i mean how deep the word of god is how much is recorded how much is held how true it is just as the lord says you see that all right now the thing that i wanted to mention just as jesus is king he is king he did not come he did not come to reign as king he came as a king for salvation because we see jesus talking with pontius pilate at the at the judgment and jesus says for this purpose am i come he came for a different purpose he did not come to establish an earthly kingdom 
but rather, as Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. He came to establish a different kingdom, the kingdom of God, by salvation. He is going to come to rule, to establish an earthly kingdom. We see where Jesus comes down, and during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, he reigns on the earth for a thousand years. That's what the Bible actually says. And some people deny that. Well, those people are dumb. But the Bible says that there is going to, uh, to be this. It, just as he said, it's going to happen. Now, people, though, at this time of the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ, they didn't fully understand this about the salvation aspect. Because of the corruption of the Pharisees and all of them, they thought, because they had tried before, they had thought that Jesus was going to establish an earthly kingdom to fight back against the Romans. That's what they wanted. They, they wanted a physical empire. They wanted an earthly empire. They wanted an empire like they had in the time of King David where nobody could oppose them. They defeated and conquered everybody that came against them. That's not what Jesus came to do. But many people weren't paying attention. They weren't listening. They weren't, they weren't studying the word to see what God had said, what God had commanded was going to happen, how it was going to fall out, how it was going to go. So they see Jesus coming in the same manner that previous kings of Israel had done. Riding the colt, in a procession into the city, the great city, to reign as king. So they see this, and in their minds, they see an earthly king coming to establish an earthly empire. But this is a spiritual king coming to establish a spiritual empire, the kingdom of God. Now, what I meant by many people today are still kind of the same. There are people today who believe in a weird, twisted doctrine that the Bible does not teach in any way, shape, or form. It's called the Seven Mountain Mandate. Um, where I forget the other title of this thing. Well, what this is, is they believe that Jesus is not going to come again. You see, this, the second coming of Christ is not going to come until we establish a Christian empire in the world. That the, 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 uh, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ has to be established as a Christian stronghold in all forms of government, education, science, medical, everything. That all of the, 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 the great seats of our culture have to be taken over by Christian influences. And only then will the Lord come again. Um, the Bible doesn't teach that at all. It says it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, not better. It says, says that everything will become a great falling away, not revivals. There won't be massive sweeping Christian revivals and, and Christian influence taking over. It says it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. The love of many shall wax cold. It says that, the, that many many will fall away and it'll be as the days of Noah. 
It'll be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Not Pentecost. So we need to be mindful of what Scripture says and how Scripture is saying it. How Scripture is saying it. The specifics of the Word of God. Okay, so let's continue on. All right, so verse 11, uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus enters Jerusalem. So he finally gets into Jerusalem, riding on the colt. Jesus enters into Jerusalem, and what does he do? What's the first thing he does? Well, what did the kings do? The previous kings in this in this manner, in this procession, is that what they would do is they'd enter in and they'd go, into, go to the temple to to appear before the lord what did jesus do he enters in jerusalem and goes right straight to the temple just like the tradition was and when he had looked around upon all things he leaves now this is interesting he goes to the temple and he looks around and walks away. Why? We'll get to that. We'll get to that. See, so he walks away. He walks away from the temple. And now the eventide was come. It was now evening. He went unto Bethany with the twelve. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. So, he's, so now he's heading back to Jerusalem. He's heading back there. So he looked around the uh, look, saw what was going on at the temple, left, went with his disciples for for the night. They went to this uh, place in Bethany, and in the morning came they came back to head back to the temple. As they are coming back from Bethany, heading back towards the temple, he he was hungry. Now, this is interesting. We see throughout the Word of God characteristics of the Lord that the Lord God is a person. Duh, but we see we see it in in many ways in the, in the Word of God. We see is the Lord laughs, the Lord cries, the Lord grieves, the Lord gets angry, the Lord rejoices, the Lord shakes with anger. He's a person with personality characteristics, behaviors without sin. But even more than this, we see with Jesus, the God-man. We see the Lord forms a body, a flesh and blood body for himself. A flesh and blood body for himself. We see Jesus laughing, weeping, eating, drinking, sleeping. He's sleeping. Uh, we see he, he also gets hungry. Well, a flesh and blood body needs to eat, needs to sleep, needs rest. Jesus was tired. We see in John chapter 4, or he was wearied with the traveling. He was tired. You ever, you ever gone for a hike or a long walk? You know how you get worn out from the long walk? And you're tired. You can't wait to sit down. Oh, my back. Oh, my hips. Oh, my knees. I just got to sit down. And he was wearied with the traveling, and then he sat at the well. That's what it says. Now we see in verse 12, he was hungry. He's hungry. And he sees a fig tree afar off, 
having leaves. He came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. As he was hungry, and he saw a fig tree, and he went over there, and there is no figs. Now, people say, well, well, if he was God, he would have known there were no figs. Right. And he did know. Then why did he go? Why does he say it like that? To teach his disciples something. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs is not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it. Jesus spoke to the fig tree. No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Notice it says that. That's important. Because he said it for them. This is entirely a teaching point for his disciples. No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. And they come to Jerusalem. And Jesus went into the temple. All right. Now, if you have your Bibles handy, please turn to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. And John chapter 2, verse 13. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Verse 14. Remember it says that he, that he when he entered Jerusalem, he went to the temple, looked around, left, came back. We'll talk about the fig tree in a moment because it continues on after this, after this bit. So, so he went to the temple, looked around, left, came back. And he found in the temple, John chapter 2, verse 14, And he found in the temple those that sold oxen, sheep, and doves, and the changers of money sitting. Now, I've talked about this before when we did our walkthrough uh, of Luke and John, and we talked about this a bit and, and what Jesus would have seen. Okay. Um, I'm going to try to draw a picture. I am not an artist. Okay. Now... Okay, this is the temple. All right. Now we see with this, this is the grounds. And this is the temple. Now the temple grounds, there's the gate there. You come in. Now the temple grounds was an area where all the worshipers would come and this is where they do the sacrifices, they would pray and, and everything else. They do all the stuff. This is a prayer ground. And we see the temple and all the, the, the table of showbread in the back, you have the, the holiest of holies and all this. Now, <coughs> excuse me. We see the temple, the temple grounds. The temple grounds is a place where sacred worship Praise, singing, and all that kind of stuff and serving of the Lord would take place. People could come in and observe and pray and call upon the Lord. The priests would go in the temple. The people would stay in the temple grounds. 
Now, the temple grounds is a place, like I said, meant for prayer and worship and studying and praising and all of this. But what had what had the people done? Well, for this, we have to go all the way back 400 years prior. 400 years prior with Malachi. Now, Malachi came and he and spoke by the Lord and told the people how they had corrupted the law, corrupted the sacrifices, corrupted the traditions, corrupted the rituals, fallen away from the love of the Lord, and giving corrupted, defiled sacrifices. And they were like, where have we done this? We haven't done that. You don't know what you're talking about. And they had fallen away from the love of the Lord. Fallen away from the love of the Lord. 400 years later, what, what do we see happening? They had turned the temple grounds. Now, we are the temple, right? We are the temple. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people to show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What? Know ye not? Ye are the temple of God which is in you, and ye are not your own. You've been bought with a price. What? What is our temple grounds? If we're the temple, that the Spirit of the Lord indwells us and no longer in buildings made with hands, he indwells us, what is our temple grounds? The church building, our home, wherever the wherever the saints are gathered together for the worship of God. Wherever we gather together to serve the Lord, worship him and praise him. That is our temple grounds, the place where we gather, right? Right. What what have what have these people done? They turned the temple grounds into a farmer's market. Filled with bellowing of animals, manure, stink, stench, chaos. And they turned it into all about money. Money changers, prosperity gospel. They turned it into everything but that which the Lord had said. Everything but what the Lord had commanded them to do. They had corrupted, ruined, destroyed, defiled the temple grounds. With what they felt was worship what they felt was was honorable what they felt was okay it's not what the lord says the lord gave strict commandments of how it was supposed to be done that they turned it into a manure filled stinking hay dusty barnyard instead of the holy sacred temple grounds that's like a lot of churches today or it's all about that themselves and their experiences, all about their feelings, all about themselves. And they worship the act of worship instead of worshiping God. They bring worldliness, the things of the world, into the temple grounds. Now, remember what I said. Jesus came to the temple, looked around, left. How come he didn't cleanse the temple then when he when he came into Jerusalem and in the in the triumphal entry Jesus comes into Jerusalem goes straight to the temple how come he didn't cleanse the temple right there immediately Patience long suffering God is long suffering 
God is patient. The patience of God. And we even see more patience. So the, the, the next morning, he comes back to this barnyard temple. Bellowing cattle, bleeding sheep and people and chaos and noise and stink and dust and filth. And what does he do? He doesn't immediately start uh, start dealing with it. What does he do? He goes off to the side and makes a whip. And what verse 15, John chapter 2, verse 15, he made a scourge. Now what's a scourge? A scourge is a bit different than a whip. It's shorter. A whip is long, and a scourge is like, yay long. It'd be a foot and a half to two feet long. A scourge is what they used on the back of Jesus. Which is interesting that Jesus used a scourge to drive out the money changers and the cows, and then the world uses a scourge on the back of Jesus. Interesting, isn't it? Think about it, think about it. So Jesus, in John chapter 2, verse 15, he makes a scourge. Now, how do you make a scourge? You get a whole bunch of, of string or, or thin rope, and you gather it all together, and you and it depends if you're going to have a wooden handle or if you're just going to use the rope handle. You, you take the big bundle of rope, and you tie here and at the bottom to create a handle. And you have the length, about a foot and a half to two feet long, and you take the rope the rope strands and you braid them you braid it up you make a strand braid up a strand you braid up another strand you braid up another strand you braid up another strand and depends how how detailed you want it it can take a while an hour a few hours so jesus is sitting there in the temple grounds looking at all this barnyard chaos in his temple jesus is god and god is sitting there getting angrier and angrier angrier looking at what the people are doing to his house his temple his temple ground they're doing everything that he said not to do, and they've turned his house into a barnyard chaos. What the Bible talks about, righteous anger. Righteous anger, which is controlled. Controlled anger. Controlled anger, controlled wrath, which is completely different than, than explosive, what's called temporary insanity temporary insanity so see righteous anger is how it is how it should be it's controlled and for the purpose of behaving in the manner of the lord and he made a scourge of small cords and he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen now how do you drive something when you have a bunch of cattle and whatnot how do you drive them with a scourge you whack them with it jesus 
started whacking people with a scourge. Um, next time a a progressive liberal says, "Well, well, what, that's not what Jesus would do," just remind them that making a scourge and beating people is not out of the realm of what Jesus would do. Jesus made a scourge and beat the money changers and the cattle and the sheep out of the temple grounds and flipped their tables. Just remind them that's what Jesus did. I like my Jesus. My Jesus isn't afraid to let the chips fall where they might. So we see he made a scourge and drove out the money changers and the oxen and the sheep. But well, what do we also see in this? I just wanted to point something out. Yes, we see the, the anger of the Lord against sin, against iniquity, but we see a gentleness and a grace in this too. Because look what he does. In verse 16, John chapter 2, verse 16. So people are selling the oxen and the sheep and all the stuff and doves. We see doves are used in sacrifice. Now, the thing about doves, which they always show in the movies, which is completely wrong. Jesus did not let the doves go. He did not open the cages and all the birds are flying away. He didn't do that. Because you see, we see a grace here. He said unto those that sold doves, he didn't drive them out, but rather he commanded them, take the doves, get out. Because they would lose their whole livelihood. Because the doves are meant for sacrifice. It's not the doves' fault. It's the people's fault. But we also see the doves were, were, were uh, sanctified for the, for the purpose of sacrifice. So he told the people to take them out. He didn't just let them loose. We see, we see a grace of God here. Take these things hence. Make not my father's house and house of merchandise. If only prosperity gospel people would read that passage. It's not about money. God doesn't want it to be about money in the temple of God. <laughs> Such a powerful mic drop, it even turned off the camera. Okay, let's get going. <laughs> I got to fix my camera. I don't know what's going on. Anyways, it's not about money. It's not about self. It's not about worldliness. And that you're not to bring the world into the temple of God. You're not to bring the world into the worship of God. You leave the world outside. You leave the world outside. He, he doesn't want there to be mud manure hay bellowing of animals he doesn't want to be about money and 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 all this and chaos you leave all that out it's to be a proper clean sacred sanctified order as god commands right that's what it says and the disciples remembered as it is written the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up okay let's go back to mark chapter 11. mark chapter 11. <clears throat> all right now mark chapter 11 we see we see the disciple mark even records something even more about the cleansing of the temple 
All right, let's take a look. And verse 15. Verse 15. Mark chapter 11, verse 15. And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. Now, I want you to just picture this in your mind just for a moment. Jesus, the Lord Jesus, God Almighty, Lord Jesus, Jesus the Christ, has a, has a has a, a scourge in his hand, and he's and he's whacking and driving out people and animals, flipping tables, dumping the boxes of money, as he's driving it all out of the temple grounds. I want you to picture that in your mind. This is the Christ of Scripture. And verse 16, Jesus gives another command. A command. He commends, verse 16, and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. Through the temple. Through the temple. Not just the temple grounds. Are you, are you see in this. So this means the people are using the temple for storage. For their merchandise. For their barnyard farmer's market in the temple grounds. They're using the temple as a storage, storage facility. What does this also bring up as, as uh, an application? What's, what also comes to mind regarding this? Would not that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. Works. 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 No works in the temple. It's not about you. It's about God. It's not about what you have, what you gain, what you achieve, what you can carry, what you can do, what you grow. That as the offerings of Cain were rejected, it was the offering of Abel, which was the lamb. You see the, the applications here. Things that come up in your mind of correlations. The correlations of this. So no carrying, no works in the temple, in the temple grounds. Verse 17. And then what did he do? Right after driving them all out, what does he do? Verse 17, he teaches. We see the whole point of this is to teach. To teach. The reason he rebuked the fig tree is to teach. The triumphal entry, show, showing and teaching as well as teaching the Pharisees and in, and in his his rebuke rebuke and rebuttal of the Pharisees he's teaching his disciples the importance of praise we see even in the previous chapter about about the, the blind man teaching them thy faith hath made thee whole the reason for finding the cult is to teach them he knows he sees he instructs just follow what i say 
Verse 17, and he taught, saying unto them, it is, is it not written, my house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. My house shall be called of all nations. All nations. Whether Jew or Gentile, bond or free, male or female, all are one in Christ. The temple of God is a house of prayer. A house of prayer. But you have robbed God. Robbed him of time. Robbed him of attention. You've made it about yourself. You've robbed God. You've robbed God. You have not given him the whole house. You're focused on yourself. You're focused on what you want to do. You're focused on what you can achieve, what you can gain. You're focused on what you do, what you don't do, your religiosity. And you've not made it about him. You've robbed from God and given yourself the attention and you haven't given him the whole house. He gets the temple and the temple grounds. What do you get? You get to worship. You get to pray. You get none of it in ownership. You get nothing. You own nothing. You are the temple. Your life belongs to him. He calls the shots. Verse 18. And the scribes and chief priests heard it. And they were not happy. The vultures are not happy. The vultures are not happy. The scribes and chief priests heard it, and they saw how they might destroy him. <laughs> now, if we take a look in the Word of God, and Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, Jesus says, you know who I am. He says to them, you know who I am. Because they say, say we, 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 we command, we adjure thee by God, tell us who you are. And Jesus says the same as I've always told you. The same as I said from the beginning. You know who I am. See, they knew exactly who Jesus was. And they want to destroy him. They want to destroy him. They don't want to just drive him out. They don't want to just silence him. They want to destroy, not just kill. They're not content with just even killing him. They want to destroy him. That means they want, they want to kill him, kill his reputation, kill his influence, destroy, kill everything he's ever said and done. His life, his life of works and everything, they want to destroy they want to destroy but they couldn't for they feared for they feared him because all the people were astonished but they couldn't because they also feared the people they needed to try to figure out a way to turn the people against him too because all the people saw him as some saw him as god some saw him as a prophet some saw him as a holy man but that the people were too much of the people were on his side so they had to wait Almost sounds like politics. For they feared him because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. Whereas we also see pride and jealousy. Pride and jealousy. You see, they couldn't even do anything about Jesus purging the temple because they couldn't 
find a way to refute him scripturally because jesus while he's doing this he's quoting scripture and they don't have a way to rebut this so they can't do anything so they can't stop him and that's what's making them angry because he's schooling them in the scriptures you know that's that's an example for us that uh when when we get into debates and discussions or whatever with other people use only the word of god when you're witnessing evangelizing preaching or teaching use only the word of god because people can argue you in philosophy psychology your own thinking and logic and all this stuff but when you only 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 use the word of god you don't use catechisms commentaries councils creeds or whatever else you don't use other people's writings and feelings and opinions and experiences and dreams and visions you only use the word of god book chapter verse rightly divided and they can't argue they just get mad i've lost count how many times that's happened to me where i'm debating a person or witnessing or whatever to an individual and they keep bringing up their arguments but i just keep quoting scripture they just get mad they get mad and attack your person they start they start trying to fault find you personally because they have nothing left to argue against your logic they can't argue against the scripture so they start picking and nitpicking and trying to fault find and blame and they attack your person your character your behavior even the tone of your voice they just start mocking these things and start ripping this up because they can't argue your doctrine it's interesting only use the word of god only use the word of god people were astonished at his doctrine they're astonished at his doctrine see it's not my doctrine it's not the gospel of brother matthew it's not the doctrine of brother matthew it's the word of god if you disagree with me show me in the word of god how i'm wrong simple as that bring your bible i'm not gonna even begin to listen if you're bringing other writings and sources and stuff i only want to see the bible book chapter verse genesis to revelation that's it i know visions i don't want to hear anything i want to hear book chapter verse give give me scripture scripture alone and i'll listen so we see in this it's not his doctrine see it's not our doctrine it's his doctrine. It's the doctrine of God. There's not just his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out of the city. So Jesus finishes up with this, teaches them and instructs them, and leaves. And when even was come, he went out of the city. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree. Remember? Jesus rebuked the fig tree. In the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots even down into the roots down right down into the roots now some of you might might remember this pulling it up here if you saw it that uh, in the community posts i put up uh, something a quote that i written up uh the other day Challenging others by the word of God exposes the goats, wolves, 
and rats by shaking their trees, which causes their rotten fruit to fall and reveal their true nature. By using the word of God alone, you grab a, you're grabbing a hold of the fruit trees because they claim they claim they have good fruit. They're, they're doing all you know proper Christian things, right? Charity, reading the Bible, going to church and praying and doing all this stuff. And what you're doing is you're grabbing their fruit tree, their fruit tree. Because we see we produce the good fruit of Christ, Christ likeness. We, we manifest good fruit. But how to tell whose fruit is of God and who is not? Because you see, there's the good fruit of God, and then there's poisonous fruit, rotten fruit, defiled fruit, fruit that's not proper according to God. So how, how do you reveal what is good and what is not? By the word of God. The taste test of the word of God. The taste test of the word of God. So you're shaking the trees and you're getting the fruit down, then how can you tell if it's good or not? By the word of God. Not by, well, my taste buds. No, by God's taste buds. You line up with the word of God. Intention, purpose, why they're doing it, how they're doing it, every aspect. You examine every aspect by the word of God. You discern by the word of God what the, what the word of God says. So we, they go by and they see this fig tree. It's dried up from the roots. Now, every bit is important. It doesn't say the fruit was dried up. The leaves are dried up. The branches are dried up. It says the whole thing and the roots completely dried up dead. Completely dried up dead. As they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter calling to remember and say that a master, behold, the fig tree, which thou cursest, is withered away which thou cursest, you cursed this tree, and it's dead. Take your Bible, please turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Now, the Lord knows those who are his. He knows who are his, he knows who is not. Not everybody who claims to be a Christian is a Christian. Not everybody who says they believe in Jesus is born again saved. Not everybody who carries a Bible, goes to church, attends the services, sings all the songs. If the doors are open, they're there. And, um, they're out in the street, even handing out tracts doesn't mean they're a Christian. They may have gone to Bible school, gotten degrees. They may even have a pastorate. They're, they're standing in a pulpit. Preaching the Bible doesn't mean that they're a Christian. What makes a born-again Christian? Not because you got dunked in water or sprinkled water as a baby or because you said this or did that. No, 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 no. You're a born-again Christian because you believed on the gospel of Jesus Christ for salvation from your sin. And it's by grace through faith are you saved, not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. That's what the Bible says. Not by righteous works which we have done, not by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. So we see there are a lot of people around, a lot of people with fruit trees. Now, we, please make sure you're hearing this, okay? 
Make sure you understand this. I, nor you, are fruit inspectors. One more time. I am not, and neither are you, a fruit inspector. The word of God is. Judge not after the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. You judge by the standard of the word of God. What God says, his word says. Now, John chapter 15, verses 1 to 6. <clears throat> I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, that sounds an awful lot like this whole fig tree thing. Now, you'll note, who is Jesus talking to in this specific passage right here about the, about the vine and the, and the branches? Who is he talking to? He's talking to his disciples, which are saved. So this context is to the saints, not sinners, not the unsaved. It's talking to the saints, to the saved. So Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. So the context is us, the saved. No, no, what are you saying? That if we don't maintain fruit, we'll be thrown into the fires of hell? No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that at all. First off, because you can't lose your salvation. It cannot be taken away, and, you, and it can't be recanted. Um, eternal security. So well, what's it talking about? Fruit bearing. Now, let's look at this. <clears throat> uh, what happened to the prodigal son? He, the son of his father, with his father, everything was fine. And then he wanted his inheritance, and he went and took his inheritance, went off into the world, and squandered his his living, his inheritance, with riotous living and harlots and drunkenness and everything else, and ended up in the pen of the pigs. What happened there? He wasn't bearing fruit. He wasn't bearing fruit. Verse 6, if a man abide not in me, he's cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them. Men gather them. What happens if you go out into the world and refuse to manifest, show, illustrate, speak of anything Christ-like, anything of the Lord, and you just blend in with the crowd? What happens? Evil communications, corrupt good manners, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. The world will gather you up. You will be burned by the world. You will be burned by the world. 
1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. About the one who was committing fornication immorality in the church of Corinth, what did Paul say would happen? He'd be delivered unto the devil for the destruction of the flesh, but his spirit will still be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. You can be struck out of the book of life. Not the Lamb's book of life. You know there's two books, right? There's two books. There's the book of life and the Lamb's book of life. The, the book of life of those which are alive. Those which are alive. And then the Lamb's book of life. Those which are born again. Those which are born and then those which are born again. There's a second book. It talks about that in Revelation. You can be struck out of the book of life, but not the Lamb's book of life. Ananias and Sapphira for Christians. But they committed a terrible sin against the Lord. They lost their lives, but they were still saved. Men will gather them, they'll be cast into the fire, and they will be burned. They'll be burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. So, this is interesting. So, what's the point of the fig tree? What's the point of the fig tree? Who determines if the tree has life or not? Not the disciples. God. Who's the one who, who has the absolute authority over our trees, over our lives? God. Who's the one who determines if something is, is bearing fruit or not? Lord, not us. We're not the fruit inspectors. God is. The other thing we see here, see here too is, is the condemnation. The pronouncement of judgment. Who's the pronouncer of judgment? God. Who determines if one has had enough, if, that, if that's it? God. Right down even to the roots. Which shows this one, well, this one is dried up from the roots. No life in it. It appeared as a fig tree. It appeared as a fig tree. It looked like a fig tree. But there was nothing in it that had life. That it, there was nothing in it to show that it had life-bearing. Many in that day will cry, Lord, Lord. But he'll say, I don't know you. Depart from me, you curse into everlasting fire and torment. I never knew you. A direct correlation to Matthew 7. You see, it's a picture there. See, when the Lord teaches something, says something there's always a physical picture there's a, there's always that the, the the practice the theory and the practical the teaching and then the hands-on it shows this dried up from the roots and in the morning as it passed they saw it dried up from the roots and peter calling to remembrance said that a master behold the fig tree which thou curses is withered away and jesus answering saith unto them have faith in god have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, ye shall have them. We also see a yet another picture in this as well. Not only is this a, an illustration, a, a, an application for how the Lord determines fruit, the Lord determines those which are his, and this we see an application to that as well. But also here, 
about the belief of faith. The belief of faith. Now, the Lord says, have faith in God, not yourselves. Have faith in God, not your fruit. Have faith in God, not your fruit. Have faith in God, not others. Have faith in God, not this world. The Lord, the Lord and the Lord alone. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. So what's this about the mountain being plucked up and thrown in the water? It's literal. No, that's not literal. That's metaphorical. That's just symbolic. No. As the Lord spoke the world into existence, the point is that the Lord is able to pluck up a mountain and throw it in the sea if he so wanted. That's the point is the nothing. There's literally nothing outside of the realm of possibility with God. As he can part the sea, he, he can turn water to wine, walk on water, raise the dead, speak the world into existence, speak the sun into existence. He, can, he, he creates the stars. He knows them all by name. How, why is it so, why is this so hard to believe that he could pluck up a mountain and throw it in the sea he can make the stones cry out it's literal he scraped together the dust of the ground and he and, and into the form of adam and breathed into the breath of life and created a living soul why why would this be any harder which is easier to say unto the man that thy sins be forgiven thee or to say rise up and walk which is easier he said to the crippled man and they let down the bed through the roof which is easier that the lord is able to do it the lord is able to do it therefore i say unto you what things soever ye desire well i desire i want a brand new ferrari I, I want I want our an Armani suit. I want I want I want all the best food in the world. I want a million dollar bank account. No 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 no. You're heaping upon your lust. That's worldly. That's the lust of this world. That's the lust of this world. What things soever you desire. What things would we desire? What things would we desire? Well, when we're when you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If ye abide in me, my words abide in you. And you're walking with the Lord out of a full heart fervently. Out of you will flow the springs of living water. You will naturally, instinctually want to do those things for the Lord. And it's not a have to, it's a want to. And he'll be teaching you what to say. He'll be teaching you how to pray. That your desires will be, be the same as the desires of the Lord in all things, whatsoever things you have need of, Matthew chapter 6, because you're seeking the kingdom of God first, and knowing this first, the word of God is our authority, you will not be praying to heap upon your lusts. He changes our desires. That's right. That's right. What things ever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, ye shall have them. Knowing that the Lord is able to provide, he's able to help, he's able to guide, guard, protect, he's able to. You're not even worried about it. Even if you're thrown into the Colosseum and the lions are charging at you, whether you live or die, it doesn't matter because you know that the Lord could deliver you like, like he did with Daniel, like he did with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He, or, or, as you see, even by your death, the Lord will be praised, even this, that the Lord is able, even by your death, to lead others to the Lord, and they could go and work great wonders in the name of the Lord and start churches because of your death. 
The Lord is able to use you in any way, shape, or form, and it doesn't matter how it's used. Believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, forgive. And if you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you forgive, but if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Wait a minute. He's repeating his message, his message on the mount, the the the, the sermon on the mount, about the Lord's prayer. And he talks about this in in this manner pray ye and and then he ends up if you if you forgive not men their trespasses trespasses neither your heavenly father forgive you yours he's repeating that he's repeating that yet again here what context 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 the the fig tree forgiveness is fruit what about what about our trees what about our fruit? Do we forgive others or do we hold grudges? Do we render evil for evil? Do we turn the other cheek? Do we speak the things of Christ in grace and mercy? Do we show mercy? Do we show meekness? This is fruit. We see the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, forgiveness grace all manner of christ likeness prayer sincere worship see there's a lot more to the whole fruit thing it's not what enters the man that defiles him but that which comes out of the heart it's not the clothes on your back god does not care if you wear a tie to church or not doesn't care couldn't care less it's the attitude of the heart you could come to church dressed up to the nines and all the best clothes and everything but which but which went home to his house which went to his house justified the, the pharisee or the publican the one dressed all and doing all and, and all this. Lord, I thank thee that I am not like this man. But the other man who would not so much as lift his eyes to heaven but beat upon his chest, say, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. Which went to his house justified? It, it's the attitude of the heart. Why are you doing what you are doing? Because you have to or because you want to? Now, what? why are you wanting to? Why are you wanting to? It even goes deeper than this. Not just so much as a have to or want to, but even if you sing because I, because I want to, why? What happens if you don't? Is it a reward system? Well, no, no. But what do you honestly think or believe or, or imply is going to happen if you don't? Well, fall out of relationship with God. No, no, you won't.
The reason we maintain fruit is not to maintain our sanctification. You can't maintain your sanctification. We are sanctified, but ye, ye are sanctified in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.30, he is our sanctification. We are sanctified. We are held. We are the children of God. He always sees us, never leaves us, nor forsakes us. He'll never let us go. I will teach you all things. He, he's the convictor of sin. He's the teacher of righteousness. He is our sanctification. He is our justification. There's nothing left for you to maintain or keep or do the only reason we do is because we love him out of a pure heart fervently and it's not because we're owed anything or, or anything gets as our reward you get nothing out of it but to serve him you get to serve him that's your reward why are you doing what you're doing well if i don't do this then he then then he won't listen to my prayers no 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 no, no. he doesn't reward sin but he still hears you like the prodigal son, the father ran and embraced him, embraced him in his mud and manure before the son could even change his clothes, before the son could even repent. But the fact that is out of his heart, he returned and the father ran and embraced him. I want you to think about that one. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. One of the chief cornerstones of the born-again Christian faith. Forgiveness, mercy, grace, meekness, forgiveness. Well, if you only knew... You want to try that again? What do you do against God on a regular basis every day? I snubbed him, ignored him, been apathetic of him, disobeyed him, how many times do you do actually if you were to really pin it down how many things do you do in your entertainment thought word action whatever how many things do you do on a daily basis that is an offense against god since the lord forgives you on a regular basis of all the things that you do against him what what why why could you not out of pure heart of grace and mercy and meekness forgive others who slander slight and offend you doesn't matter who it is doesn't matter what it is the lord forgave you your great sin when you were unsaved an enemy of god child of the devil and he forgave you utterly and turned you into a saint he turned saul of tarsus murderer of the church into an apostle why can't you forgive them why do you hold things against people against christians judging people by their past When the Lord forgives us our past, why do we bring it up? Even if it even if it happened yesterday, they they slandered you, slighted you yesterday, but today they're repentant. What does that mean? Let it go. Hold no grudges. Forgive them. Because the Lord forgave them, you forgive them. Never bring it up. You do not judge them by their past. Doesn't matter what they've done. Just as the Lord does. Christ likeness is fruit and every aspect of thought word and action is fruit 
now we see the 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 thing here about the fig tree what if there's no fruit none no fruit whatsoever no fruit whatsoever no conviction no love of the brethren no charity no christ-likeness there's literally nothing but they say they are they say they're a fig tree but there's no evidence whatsoever what does this show their root is dead the root's dead implying did they ever have life to begin in, in at, at first well if there's no no evidence no conviction were they saved in the first place were they saved in the first place so you can't lose your salvation it can't be taken away and it can't be recanted but you could be not saved to begin with in the first place the root is dead see they thought they had been grafted in but there is no evidence so what does the lord do he curses it no you're not of mine no life in you and even even in this we see an aspect of a person who is saved where they show no fruit their lives can be taken their lives can be taken like ananias and sapphira john 15 1 to 6 jesus is talking to christians first corinthians 5 5 that man was saved who is committing terrible sin and he's going to be handed over to the devil for the destruction of his flesh that his life would be taken but his spirit is still saved why would you not want to produce fruit ashamed of god love of the world more what is what 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 does the lord say will happen if you defile his temple those who defile my temple i will destroy take the life of he who defiles the temple him shall god destroy that's what it says that's what it says but the progressive liberal christians say oh that's way too harsh that's not right no god would never do that are you are you literally contradicting with the bible flat well that's just your interpretation that's literally what it says it's literally what it says show me according to the word of god use scripture alone show me how i'm wrong because that's how i read it that's how i see it this is what it, it says show me how i'm wrong that the lord pronounces a judgment upon those who confess to be his but have absolutely no evidence no manifestation of fruit you defile the temple him shall god destroy what know you not ye are the temple of god which is in you and ye are not your own Put all the pieces together, folks. Put it all together. So, something to think about. Verse 27, And they come again, again to Jerusalem. And so they went out, and now they're coming back. And he was walking in the temple. Ah, he's back in the temple again. But now it's different. He's walking in the temple, and there come to him the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And all, all these ones come up to him now, all of the vultures now all those that got ticked off and triggered 
these blue-haired Pharisees come up, they come up to Jesus and they want to challenge him for what he did in casting out their farmer's market out of the temple. And they say to him, by what authority doest thou these things? What, what authority gives you the right to do what you just did? By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority to do these things? <laughs> By what authority? What gives you the right? Who do you think you are? Oh my goodness. We've all heard that at some point. Now, something to think about. Proverbs chapter 26. Proverbs chapter 26. People will come up to you, all kinds of questions and arguments and all kinds of things, but always remember, always remember, answer them according to the word of God. Proverbs 26 verses 4 and 5. Some people look at these two verses as like a contradiction. No, but they're not. Proverbs 26 verses 4 to 5. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. First it says, answer not a fool according to his folly. Then it says to answer a fool according to his folly. So which is it? Answer him or don't answer him? It's in the rest of the words of the two verses. Look what it says. Lest thou be also like unto him. Do not answer a fool in the same manner or in the same argument or in the same vein, in the same tone, the same behavior. Don't, don't be, don't, don't imitate him. You know, do not answer a fool in the same manner and stupidity that they're presenting their question. Lest thou also be like him. Don't be a fool like him. Don't be goofy and stupid or argumentative or contentious or whatever else. Don't chirp back. Don't don't scream back. Don't curse back. Don't do any of that. Proverbs 26 verses 4 to 5. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou be also like unto him. But rather, verse 5, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Now, uh, answer according to address in such a way to show him his error, but but mature, but to be mature, but to do so in a way that God would be pleased with your behavior and answer. All right. So we see here, they come up and say, by what authority doest thou these things? Just like when they arrested the apostles, we command you not to speak in the name of Jesus. They could have said anything. But rather, they said, whether it seemed right unto you to obey you or not, we ought to obey God rather than men. They didn't stand there bickering, my rights, well, I can do what I want. You can't tell me what to do. And, and that, they didn't do any of that kind of thing. We ought to obey God rather than men. That right there supersedes everything. How would a person respond to that? You're not allowed to go out and hand out tracts. You can't go. You can't attend churches. You got to stay home and don't speak of Jesus. Don't sing out loud. Don't gather uh, the the offering. Don't take communion. You're not allowed to do it. Uh, do do it. Uh, what your Bible says. We we command you. We 
We ought to obey God rather than men. How does a person respond to that? By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority to do these things? They say to Jesus. Well, okay. Now, if you go back in the past three years of Jesus' ministry, and you take a look at what he said, you take a look at the miracles he did, you take a look at how he forgave people their sins, he rose the dead to life, he worked signs and wonders that only God could do, he taught perfect, lawless doctrine and theology, never sinned, The prophet John the Baptist declared him as the Christ Messiah. Kings from the far east came and wanted to find the king of the Jews and then found Jesus and worshipped him. <laughs> Reminded the people of the prophecy of Micah in chapter 5 verse 2. Angels from heaven declared his birth. Other prophets declared his life. Who gives you the right and the authority? Um, I, I, I wonder how these guys qualified as Pharisees to begin with if they're that ignorant of the scriptures. By what authority? By what authority? You see, there is something I also want to bring up. Just one last point before we continue on our study. You see, people are going to ask you, by what by what right what teaching what school what authority do you say preach witness or whatever if you answer anything but the word of god you don't know what you're doing you don't know what you're talking about yet you claim claim of your denomination your church your title your other books by calvinism armenianism or whatever else ism that's out there you you claim catechism commentary council creed or whatever else you claim the apostles creed or any of those other things you don't know what you're talking about plain and simple you do not know what you are talking about your authority is in the is in the traditions of men and the writings of men and not in the word of god alone Sola Scriptura means there's nothing on the table, no other writings or sources or opinions or, or doctrines, anything, nothing on the table but the Bible. Genesis to Revelation is your doctrinal statement. Genesis to Revelation is your statement of faith. That's it, plain and simple. Book, chapter, verse. What is your authority? Not Augustine, not Polycarp, not church tradition, not, not Martin Luther, not Charles Spurgeon. No one else is your authority. The word of God, the word of God alone. See, Jesus challenges them with this. In verse 29, And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also ask you a question. He's answering their question with a question. I love doing that. That really throws people off. Like, no, 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 I ask first. My question answers your question. Because it also shows it also shows and reveals something. Jesus says, 
I, I will also ask you one question, and answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, John the Baptist, the baptism of John, the preaching of John, was it from heaven or of men? Answer me. Why did he ask that question? Because the Pharisees are fighting John. But at the, at the same time, they knew full well, flat out, that John the Baptist was of God. They knew exactly who he was. They knew what he was about. So what is Jesus questioning them? Doctrine. Doctrine. The authority of God. The word of God. The prophecies of God. Malachi foretold John the Baptist. They knew full well who he was. I'll ask you one question. The baptism of John, the preaching of John, the works of John, was it of heaven or of men? Answer me. Now, I like those two words right there. Answer me. Because a lot of people are afraid to answer, are afraid to address it, and God demands an answer. God demands an answer. Verse 31. They reasoned with themselves. And they, so they're standing, tell us by what authority said Jesus the questions. And they all go off into their own little, little satanic clique. They're over here arguing, the grumbling, the frow, the, the brows furrowed, and they're arguing, saying, if, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of men, they fear that they feared the people for all men counted John that he was a prophet and we'd be stoned if we say it wasn't of God. We compare this to another passage that they feared that they'd be stoned by the people. If they said it wasn't of God because all the people believed that John was a prophet. For all men counted John that he, that he had been a prophet. So they so they came up with a with a scheme, verse thirty three, and they answered and said unto Jesus, We we don't know, we can't tell. Oh, we can't tell. We have we, we don't know. They lie. These lying, scheming, conniving demonic men. They absolutely knew full well, they, but they just hated John. They hate the God of Israel. We cannot tell. Jesus answered, said, Then neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. Those who harden their hearts against the Lord, the Lord isn't, doesn't owe them anything. He's not going to answer them. He's not going to answer them. He's not going to draw them. He's not going to convict them. Those who harden their hearts against the Lord, the Lord ignores. The Lord ignores. Neither do I tell thee. Because God re reveals his word as it, as it shows that the things of the Lord are, are taught by the Lord. And that the spirit of God reveals it in the hearts of men. That, that, that to understand the word of God, you got to have the spirit of God. The spirit of God reveals the understanding, the teaching of these things to the softened hearts. Those who seek the Lord. But those who harden themselves against the Lord, the spirit of God will not teach them. We see an example of this right here. Right there. So what is, what is the overall theme of chapter 11? As Christ commands, Christ teaches, 
Christ commands. Even as Jesus commanded us. He gives us an example here. He he commands that we render not evil for evil. Avoid contentions. Avoid strifes. To mark and avoid. I want to share some more passages here. Right in the same vein here. Right with this, as Jesus answered the uh, the Pharisees here, we see in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 to 5. Now, these next few passages that I'm going to share with you are some of the um, most ignored passages of Scripture by the progressive liberal Christians, progressive liberal individuals. They call these passages too strict, too harsh, too judgmental. And they hate these passages. They, they ignore these passages. They refuse to listen or obey these passages. I hope you'll listen to them. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 3 to 5. If any man teach otherwise, other than what? What the Word of God says. If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, into the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. These argumentative, bickering, uh, uh, angrily debating people have not the love of Jesus Christ. Even those that suppose that gain is godliness, the prosperity people, leave them, walk away, withdraw yourself from them. That's what it says, 1 Timothy 6, 3-5. Romans 16, verses 17-18. to 18. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. They do not produce fruit, which is after godliness. Mark and avoid. Again, it says it, mark and avoid. Titus chapter 3, verses 9 to 11. But avoid. There it is again. Avoid foolish questions. Stupid questions. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings. What is, wait, 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 genealogies? Yeah, well, I am this. Well, I come from this background. I'm of this background. This is my descent. Well, this is, this is my race. This is my... Oh, did I push a button there? Did I touch on something there? God couldn't care less what your ancestry was, what your country background is, what your culture is, what language you are. God couldn't care less 
what skin color you are or how much hair you have he doesn't care less if it's an armani suit or a pair of jeans he doesn't care if you're from the metropolis or the jungle from the desert to the sea he doesn't care it doesn't matter all that matters is the word of god well i'm from this school i'm from that school i have this degree i have that Avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions. Avoid contention. Avoid contention. Do you know what that means? Don't fight. Stop fighting. Avoiding strifes. Avoiding contentions. Avoid contentions and strivings about the law. Because we're no longer under the law, we're under grace. These law-keeping Judaizer Pharisee types, these legalistic Pharisee types out there, ignore them, avoid them. Strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. It's vanity. A man that is an heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject. Knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. There's a bit of a judgment upon those kinds of people that are all about that kind of stuff. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 14 to 15. And if any man obey not our word, there it is again. The doctrine that you've been told, the doctrine is according to godliness. This word, this letter, this book, this authority. If any man obey not our word, the apostles' word, which is given to them by Jesus Christ. If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him mark and avoid leave have nothing to do withdraw yourself have no company with them that he may be ashamed that he may be ashamed that they would learn that what they're doing is wrong their doctrine is wrong that they are wrong they have not the spirit of god in them that they're dishonoring the lord they're betraying the lord they're they're being judged by the lord not you we're not judging. God is judging. And God said to have nothing to do with people that are like this. Yes, Lord. If Jesus said to you, withdraw yourself from that individual over there, have nothing to do with them, mark and avoid, withdraw from them, have no company with that person over there. What would you say? Well, I don't know, Jesus. That, that seems a bit harsh. I think that we should love them. We shouldn't judge them. We should go and, and hang out with them and just and, and just and show them Christ's likeness. And they'll want to become us because of our love. We must maintain relationships over doctrine. Relationships are more important than doctrine. <clears throat> if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him. Yet there, there is an attitude that is given to us, an attitude check though, to make sure that our behavior, because it says, yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Admonish means to instruct and to correct. To instruct and correct. 2 John chapter 1, verses 10 to 11. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, there it is again, 
And bring not this doctrine. Bring not this doctrine. If any come unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house. Now, of course, we understand this is different than, say, if you're in a house and your family's in your house. This is talking about someone outside and bring them into your life. Bring them into your life for fellowship. Your dwelling. And even if you have your own house, they're not allowed in your home. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. You know what that you know what that literally translates as? To bid them good day. To, to shake their hand. What it says. That if they are promoting another gospel, a different Jesus, a different doctrine, other than what the word of God is about. They're a works-based salvationist. They're of some other religion. They're of a different God. They're baptismal regenerationist or whatever else. You're not even you're not even permitted by, by God, according to his word, according to the Bible. Not even permitted to say good day or to shake their hand. They're not allowed in your home. You're not allowed to have fellowship with them. The fellowship like, like as you would other Christians. That's what it says. You want to talk about fruit? You want to talk about fruit bearing? You want to talk about the commandments of Christ? You want to talk about Jesus according to the word of God? Our Lord God, Jesus Christ, what his, he says in his doctrine? That's what it says. Now, why is this important? Why is this so important? Think about it just for a moment. Because... 1 Timothy 4, 1-2, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Titus 1, 12-13, One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said that, Cre that the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. The reason we do so that they be sound in the faith. because The reason we do this is because there's a lot of doctrines of devils out there seducing spirits there's a lot of seducing spirits doctrines of devils false prophets false christ if we are not strict in doctrine strict in christ likeness think about it reverse it what happens if we don't you'll be blown about by every wind of doctrine you'll be blown about by every wind of doctrine Everybody will have my truth, my interpretation. Well, I think, I feel, I believe, my God, my Jesus. Well, that's just your interpretation. Judge not, judge not, just love. God is all love. God is a love is love. If we don't treat sin as sin, sin becomes the church. And we end up turning the temple and the temple grounds into a barnyard. And we have no fruit. We literally just summarize the whole chapter in this point because that's what Jesus is getting at. 
Mark chapter 11. By what authority are you doing what you are doing? What are you believing and why are you believing it? What is your authority? What is your authority? Because our authority is the word of God and the word of God alone. The scriptures and the scriptures alone. What does God say about this? How are you reading? How are you interpreting it? What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts? So there you go. That's Mark chapter 11. A bit of a longer one. But I just wanted to get through the whole thing because the whole chapter goes as a whole. And I just, I wanted to do that. So thank you so much for your patience in this. Yes, we did have some technical issues. I'm going to be taking a look at this, this stupid camera. I don't know why it is so finicky like this. It's really annoying. Every little thing makes it just blip off. So I have to be careful. So if I accidentally bump the computer tower, bump a cable, it just goes out. So I don't know, bad connection or something. I don't know. But anyways, thank you for your patience in that. And praise the Lord, we're able to get through it all anyways. So if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding our study, please, by all means, go ahead, ask away. If you appreciate these studies, please make sure to give this a like, give us a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe. Hit notification bell icon so we put up new videos and check out all our other videos. We've got tons and tons of other goodies and content and playlists and Bible studies and everything. So we've got tons of stuff over here on our channel as well as checking out our website, christiancoffeetime.ca. Christiancoffeetime.ca. We have links to all our other platforms and a bunch of other goodies. We've got our free downloadable gospel track PDFs. Please make sure you check that out. And if you need help finding anything or you got any questions on any of this, please do not hesitate to contact us and let us know. Alrighty, so um, make sure there aren't any comments or questions I forgot or anything. Alright, going down through. Okay, so as, yeah, there is a question here. Um, Uh, Olga had a question earlier uh, about the fig tree thing as I went to. Uh, Olga says, I heard that the fig tree symbolizes Israel. Is that correct? Direct context? No. Uh, as an application, it can be applied in that manner. As we saw how Israel... I wound up rejecting the rejecting the Lord, and we saw what happened, and uh, the, and uh, how they persecuted Christ, and how they even re refused and rejected the gospel. And we see how the Lord turns His attention to the time of the Gentiles. We do see that there, and how the Lord will turn His attention again back to Israel in the end, in the end of days. Um, there is an application for that. So, as an application, yes. As direct context, no. All right. Um, going down through. Okay. Let's see if there's anything else. Okay. All right. So I guess that's it. And so that wraps it up there. So thank you so much for joining in, folks. God bless you. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again, folks. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.